The scripture this morning is from Mark 1, verses 29 through 39, and may be found on page 35 of the New Testament. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went through, throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we are celebrating some of our mission and our mission connection. Uh, you should know that uh, 14 people, college age people, have uh, left or are leaving uh, for Cedar Rapids for the College Righteous Mission. It will be going on this week. They will be working with the Matthew 25 Ministry Hub in Cedar Rapids, um, where they will be working, doing a lot of construction work, as well as creating an urban farm um, in place of where houses that had to be torn down due to the flood, uh, they're, they're recreating that space to produce uh, a farm for the community. And so they're continuing the flood relief work and um, as well as doing some other work for some low-income homes. So please keep them in your prayers as well this week. They'll be returning on Friday and we'll get to hear from them soon. And now let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Kind of cracks me up a little bit, the first miracle, uh, that one of the first of his healing miracles that Jesus did was to perform the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And don't you kind of wonder a little bit of how he got there, what led to this story? I mean, sure, she was sick, and sure, it would seem natural for her son-in-law to bring his boss, who was a healer, to come home and heal her. But I think there might be more to the story than that. What was the relationship like between Peter and his mother-in-law? She couldn't have been too pleased with him. After all, he just packed up all his things and left her daughter to go and follow a man whose credentials were still questionable at best. Might Peter have had ulterior motives? Was this his chance to show off and regain his mother-in-law's respect? Was he just simply scared for her health and desperate for her to be healed? Or was this his chance to see if Jesus really was the real deal and prove it to his wife and his mother-in-law at the same time? You know, just for a little insurance. Whatever his motivation, it worked. Jesus healed her, she was healthy again, and went right 
to serving Jesus and his disciples, which indicates respect and thanksgiving, and I would guess an understanding of Peter's actions. Now, some commentators say that the book of Mark is so packed with instances of Jesus healing people to demonstrate the power of Jesus. He wasn't just another traveling preacher, some false prophet. He was the real deal, and all of these healings proved that. And people began to believe. As I said last week, word was spreading about Jesus, and the crowds were swelling. People searched for him and tracked him down and brought loved ones for his healing touch. They wanted to be close to him, known by him, healed by him. Not unlike stars of today, people wanted to know what was going on with Jesus. They listened for his next word. They watched his next move. They longed to be touched by him. They believed in his power. And so as we hear so often from movie stars and politicians, people never gave him a break. He had to always be on. People were always watching. He couldn't just run into the grocery store with a baseball cap on his head. He couldn't be a normal person. They were always there, always pressing on him. A pastor of a small southern town had a granddaughter named Dana. Dana was six years old and was afraid of the siren that blew every day in that town at noon. It had been installed generations ago in order to let the factory workers know that it was time for them to go home for lunch. When Dana visited her grandpa, the siren scared her. So he suggested that whenever she heard the siren go off, she should just stand up and yell, go home and get your lunch. Sure enough, the suggestion worked. Whenever Dana heard the siren, she began yelling, go home and get your lunch. And she didn't even think about being scared. Well, one Sunday, Grandpa got really worked up over his sermon subject. He was really into it, preaching up a storm when the noon siren suddenly sounded and little Dana took it as her cue and she stood up, turned to the congregation and yelled, go home and get your lunch. <laughs> and they all promptly got up and left. They thought maybe this was part of the grandpa's plan. After sunset, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and people were lined up outside the door with the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town was there at the door. The next morning, though, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off by himself to pray. He wanted some time by himself. He got a little time, and then his disciples soon showed up and let him know that everyone was looking for him. At the height of his ministry, Jesus was constantly surrounded by crowds of people attracted by his power and his message, and they pressed around him everywhere they went. Don't you think he just wanted to yell, go home and get your lunch? But that's not what he did. Instead, he said, let's go to the next village so I can preach there. And then he said, that's why I've come. Now, when we read that line, that's why I, I've come, we assume he's talking to the disciples. But a closer reading might suggest that he's talking to himself. Perhaps he's reminding himself of what he's doing and that he shouldn't spend too much time off by himself resting and taking a break. There was a lot of work to do. Maybe he was talking himself out of staying there all day, even if it did feel really good to be alone and have so, when he has so many demands of his time. Or maybe it was in that time of solitude and prayer that he remembered why he came, 
that God helped him to refocus and become reinvigorated for all that he had to do. It wasn't to display his power. It was to teach about God's love and grow the kingdom. From time to time, Jesus needed a break. He needed to get away by himself to be removed from all the demands made on his time. Now, I'm sure that no one here can relate to that. Or maybe we can. When Jesus needed a break, he left. His disciples might not have always honored that need, but nevertheless, he made sure that he had time with God and he remembered who he was. Anyone here know how to sit still? I mean, sit really still. Can you just sit and listen to the quiet and not say anything to anyone, not do anything? Not fidget, not roll a pencil between your fingers, or look intently at the back of the head of the person sitting in front of you. Not take a little nap. Not sit and mentally construct a shopping list, or run over the things that you have to do before all your company can come over today, or wonder if you're going to make it to Mother's Day brunch in time. Just sit, relaxed. Let's try it. I'm not very good at it. Anybody else start to feel a little anxious? It's just hard. It's hard to slow down and just be. You know, yesterday we had a we had a day where we had some things to do, but it was it was not a real high intense day for us, and I couldn't relax. I was anxious because I kept thinking, "Oh, I got stuff to do," and I couldn't just relax. It's hard to slow down and be. I don't know about you, but there are too many things to do, too many people who need me to be doing something. It's not a good use of my time to just sit and be, and yet when I run and run and run and don't ever stop and don't rest, what happens? I get sick, don't you? Our bodies are not built for a rhythm of work, work, work. Even God took rest. Jesus took breaks, went away for a little while, and had some solitary time in the mornings. After creating the world, God created Sabbath, knowing that we would need it. I've been thinking a lot about my beginnings lately because it's the 10th anniversary of my ordination is this week. And I remember back in seminary, one day early on, I passed a table in the main academic building, and the table was full of things like Play-Doh and yo-yos and Frisbees and coloring books and crayons and bubbles. And I looked around thinking maybe it was bring your kid to seminary day or something. And then I saw a sign that was hanging on the back wall that said, brought to you by the Spiritual Formation Committee. Oh, brother, I thought, what kind of hippie feel-good school have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I wasn't looking for toys and gimmicks. I wanted a serious academic experience where people took themselves seriously. Clearly, this kind of thing accounted for the many lame old pastors I'd encountered in my short life. What was I supposed to do? Finish an exam and come out and blow bubbles to make it all better? I didn't get it. Yes, the toys were there for people to play with, but they were also a reminder to stop and take a break. The next three years were going to be full of pressures, classes, internships, board of ordained ministry, 
preparing for a first appointment, all kinds of things pressing in on me, demanding my time. People were going to want a piece of me in every direction. And if I didn't stop and take a break and relax and have some fun and spend some God, time with God and leave all my anxiety and worry and demands behind, I wouldn't be a very healthy, let alone effective pastor. I know that I'm a much better mother and wife and pastor and daughter and friend when I am rested, when I don't feel all the crowds and the demands pushing in on me, when I just stop and take some time with God, I do much better. People often brag about they have, how they haven't taken a vacation in so long or how they work on Saturdays and they're just always going and how highly people think about them because of how much they work. But are they really healthy? Are they really happy? Are they really fulfilled? When we neglect ourselves in such a way, we neglect our relationship with God. When we don't take a break and rest, we are treating our bodies, our temples poorly. And our relationship with God, as well as the other important people in our lives, suffer. It's so easy to neglect that which is most important to us. Jesus needed time for prayer. And Jesus needed time to focus on his primary mission. He was getting distracted by the many demands that were being made of his time, the many demands of his power. When he went and spent time with God, he remembered why he came. He remembered that it wasn't just to heal, but to teach, to share God's love. By taking a break and spending time with God, he rechanneled his focus into a direction that not only helped him to accomplish what God had wanted him to do, but also refreshed him and recharged him so that he wouldn't get run down and would remain healthy. We live in a fast-changing, complex world. If we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves majoring in minors, ignoring the really crucial needs in our lives. But how do we do it? How do we find the time for this essential practice of taking a break and being with God? Katie Wagner is a good friend of mine. She was a member at Written Grace, the church I served prior to coming here, and she's now a pastor and is being commissioned for ministry this week at annual conference. Katie also has seven children, four of whom I baptized in the eight years I served at Grace, with seven children, attending seminary, a home to care for, and pulpits to fill. You can imagine that Katie is not one with much time for herself but she does four or five, at least, loads of laundry a day. And she finds that when she's in the laundry room, no one bothers her. <laughs> so she's made it into her prayer closet. She's locked herself in the laundry room, and while the laundry goes, she prays. She stops and she listens to the flow of the water and she prays for her husband and for her children and for the task that God has set before her and she just spends time talking with God. She's found that the best time for prayer isn't found, it's made. Why did I choose this scripture, this subject for today, for this Sunday? It's not some kind of you know, suggestion that I shouldn't have to work on Mother's Day or anything like that. No, I chose it because my hope is that it can be my Mother's Day gift to all of you to remind you that you need to take a break. You need time with God. Give yourselves permission to stop and pray, to just be. 
The perfect time for a break, the perfect time to stop and spend time with God isn't going to just appear in your life. You've got to figure it out for For Jesus, it was early in the morning before the crowd started forming. For me, it's often up at Lake Louise at our family cottage when our family is together up there or sometimes on a Friday night when we have nothing to do and our family can just be together or just before bed when I write in our family gratitude journal. Sometimes it's even just in the car on a beautiful week like last week when the weather was so pretty and all the, all the flowers, the buds were coming out, just noticing creation and saying, saying thank you. If Jesus needed to spend time in prayer, how much more do you and I need that time? If he needed to call a, a time out in order to refocus his ministry, how much more do we need to reflect upon ourselves and our lives and reorder our priorities. Katie Wagner is right, we'll never find the time we have to make it. It's a matter of priorities. Are all of the demands of your time pressing in on you more important than time with God or care for self, time with your family, staying focused? Are they more important? all those pressing things. Maybe some time with God can help you to figure that out. Amen.